0: Chapter 33 of The Rangeland Adventure by Max Brand This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Cartwright went downstairs in the highest good humor. He had been convinced of two things in the interview with his wife. The first was that she could be induced to return to him. The second was that she loved Riley Sinclair. He did not hate her for such fickleness. He merely despised her for her lack of brains. No thinking woman could hesitate a moment between the ranches and the lumber tracks of Cartwright and the empty purse of Riley Sinclair. As for hatred, that he concentrated on the head of Sinclair himself. He had already excellent reasons for hating the rangy cowpuncher. Those reasons were now intensified and given weight by what he had recently learned. He determined to raise a mob, but not to accomplish his wife's desires. What she had said about the weakness of jails, the strength of Sinclair, and the probability that once out he would take the trail of the rancher, appealed vigorously to his imagination. He did not dream that such a man as Sinclair would hesitate at a killing. And loving the girl, the first thing Sinclair would do would be to remove the obstacle through the simple expedient of a well-placed bullet. But the girl had not only convinced him in this direction, she had taught him where his strength lay, and she had pointed a novel use for that strength. He went to work instantly when he entered the big back room of the hotel, which was used for cards and surreptitious drinking. A little, patient-faced man in a corner. Who had been sucking a pipe all evening and watching the crap game hungrily was the first object of his charity ten dollars slipped into the pocket of the little cowpuncher brought him out of his chair with a grin of gratitude and bewilderment a moment later he was on his knees calling to the dice in a crackling voice crossing the room cartwright picked out two more obviously stalled gamblers and gave them a new start. Returning to the table, he found that the game was lagging. In the first place, he had from the start supplied most of the sinews of war to that game. Also, two disgruntled members had gone broke in his absence. Through trying to plunge for the spoils of the evening, they sat back with black faces and watched him come. We're getting down to a small game said the gray-headed man, who was dealing. But Cartwright had other ideas. A friend's a friend, he said jovially, and a gent that's been playing beside me all evening, I figure for a friend. Sit in, boys. I'll stake you to a couple of rounds, huh? Gladly they came, astonished and exchanging glances. Cartwright had made a sour loser all the game. This sudden generosity took them off balance it let in a merciful light upon the cruel criticism which they had been leveling at him in private the pale man with the blond eyelashes and the faded blue eyes who had been dexterously stacking the cards all through the game decided at that moment that he would not only stop cheating but he would even lose some of his ill-gotten gains back into the game only a sudden rush of unbelievable luck kept him from executing his generous and silent promise. This pale-faced man was named Whitey, from the excessive blondness of his hair and his pallor. He was not popular in Sour Creek, but he was much respected. A proof of his ingenuity was that he had cheated at cards in that community for five years, and still he had never been caught at his work. He was not a bold-talking man. In fact, he never started arguments or trouble of any kind. But he was a most dexterous and thoroughgoing fighter when he was cornered. In fact, he was what is known widely as a finisher. And it was Whitey whom Cartwright had chosen as the leader of the mob which he intended raising. He waited until the first shuffle was in progress, after the hand. Then he began his theme. Understand the sheriff is pretty strong for this Sinclair that murdered Quade, he said carelessly. Murder is a tolerable strong word, came back the unfriendly answer. Maybe it was a fair fight. Cartwright laughed. Maybe it was, he said. Whitey interrupted himself in the act of shoving the pack across to be cut. He raised his pale eyes to the face of the rancher. "'What makes you laugh, Cartwright?' "'Nothing,' said Jude hastily. "'Nothing at all. "'If you gents don't know Sinclair, "'it ain't up to me to give you light. "'Let him go.' "'Nothing more was said during that hand "'which Whitey won. "'Jude, apparently bluffing shamelessly, "'bucked him up to fifty dollars, "'and then he allowed himself to be called "'with a pair of tens, Against a full house. Not only did he lose, but he started a laugh against himself, and he joined in cheerfully. He was aware of Whitey frowning curiously at him and smiling faintly, which was the nearest that Whitey ever came to laughter. And indeed, the laugh cost Cartwright more than money, but it was a price, the price he was paying for the adherence of Whitey. What about the Sinclair? asked the man with the great red blotchy freckles across his face and the back of his neck so that the skin between looked red and raw you come from up north which is his direction too know anything about him he looks like pretty much of a man to me and the sheriff says he's a square shooter from the word go maybe he is said cartwright but i don't want to go around digging the ground away from nobody's reputation whatever he's got he won't last long said whitey definitely he'll swing sure it was cartwright's opening he took advantage of it dexterously without too much haste he even yawned to show his lack of interest well i got a hundred and says he don't hang he observed quietly and looked full at whitey across the table it was a challenge which the gambling spirit of the latter could not afford to overlook. "'Money talks,' began Whitey. Then he checked himself. "'Do you know anything, Cartwright?' "'Sure I don't,' said Jude, in the manner of one who has abundant knowledge in reserve. "'But they say that the sheriff and Sinclair have become regular bunkies. Don't do nothing hardly but sit and chin with each other over in the jail.' Ever known Kern to do that before? They shook their heads. Which is a sign that Sinclair may be all right, said the sober whitey. Which is a sign that he might have something on the sheriff, said Jude Cartwright. I don't say that he has, mind you, but it looks kind of queer. He yanked a prisoner away from the sheriff one day, and the next day he's took for murder. Did the sheriff have much to do with his taking? No, he didn't. By all accounts, it was Arizona that done the taking, planning, and everything. And after Sinclair's took, what does the sheriff do? He gets on the trail of Arizona, and has him checked in for murder of another gent. Maybe Arizona is guilty, maybe he ain't, but it kinda looks if they was something between Sinclair and Kern, don't it? At this bold exposition of possibilities, they paused. "'Kern is figured tolerable straight,' declared Whitey. "'Sure he is. That's because he don't talk none and does his work. Besides, he's a killer. That's his job. So is Sinclair a killer. Maybe he did fight Quade, square. But Quade ain't the only one. Why, boys, the Sinclair has got a record as long as my arm.' In silence they sat around the table, each man thinking hard. The professional gunmen get scant sympathy from ordinary cowpunchers. "'Now I dropped in at the jail,' said the man of the great freckles. "'And come to think about it, I heard Sinclair singing, and I seen him polishing his spurs. Sure, he's getting ready for a ride,' put in Cartwright. There was a growl from the others. They were slowly turning their interest from the game to Cartwright. What do you mean, a ride? Got another hundred? Said Cartwright calmly. That when the morning comes, it won't find Sinclair in the jail. At once they were absolutely silenced, for money talks in an eloquent voice. Deliberately, Cartwright counted out the two stacks of shimmering twenty-dollar gold pieces, five to a stack. One hundred that he don't hang, and another hundred that he ain't in the jail when the morning comes. Any takers, boys? It ought to be easy money, if everything's square. Whitey made a move, but finally merely raised his hand and rubbed his chin. He was watching that gold on the table with cat-like interest. A man must know something to be so sure. "'I'd like to know,' murmured the man of the freckles disconnectedly. "'Well,' said Cartwright, "'There ain't much of a mystery about it. "'For one thing, if the sheriff was plumb set on keeping them, two, "'why didn't he take them over to Woodville today, "'where there's a jail they couldn't bust out of, eh?' "'Again they were silenced, and, in an argument, "'when a man falls silent, "'it simply means that he is thinking hard on the other side. "'But as far as I'm concerned, went on Cartwright, yawning again, "'it don't make no difference one way or another.' Sour Creek ain't my town, and I don't care if it gets the Ha Ha for having its jail busted open. Of course, after the birds have flown, the Sheriff will ride hard after him on the wrong trail." Whitey raised his slender, agile, efficient hand. Gents, he said, something has got to be done. This man Cartwright is giving us the truth. He's got his hunch and hunches is mostly always right. "'Speak out, Whitey,' said the man with the freckles encouragingly. "'I like your style of thinking.' Nodding his acknowledgments, Whitey said, "'The main thing seems to be that Sinclair in Arizona is old hands at killin'. And they had ought to be hung. Well, if the sheriff ain't got the rope, maybe we could help him out, huh?' End of chapter 33